We're going to talk about living in the light today, and I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to John chapter 1. If you have a smartphone with a Bible app on it, you can go to the Bible app and click the little menu and look for an event near you, and uh, this uh, information will be there for you in maybe a more uh, condensed form and uh, easy to follow along form. There is a Bible app event for this message, okay? All right. So I spoke to you earlier about this. Uh, this week is Halloween, and I've um, off and on through the years, I've taken time to talk to you about uh, spiritism, the occult, witchcraft, and all that during Halloween. Um, not because I think Halloween is bad. I don't know if I told you this or not, but when I was about 13 years old, my mom put me in a black dress with a witch's face. I scored more candy than I'd ever scored before that year. So I'm not saying, oh, that's a bad thing to do. If you have convictions about that, I really respect that. But I really want to talk to you about something deeper than that today. I want to talk to you instead just about the whole concept of the occult and darkness in general. Actually, what I'm doing is I'm using this holiday as an excuse to address this issue. And uh, that always works well for me. This past month, uh, my wife Laurel and I went to uh, the Southwest. We went to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and saw the Balloon Festival. And that is such a cool thing to do. I would encourage all of you to do that and stay with my son and his wife, whether they want you there or not. Uh, it, it was a great time. And uh, you can see the balloons here. What they do, they light them up. Um, you go before the sun comes up. And, you, and then they, they fill those things with uh, big fans, gasoline-powered engines, fill those things, and then they fire them up. And it is a sight to behold uh, when they take off. I have about 500 pictures. I'm only showing you one today of that, but, but that's a good time. One of my favorite places to go when I go to Albuquerque is to Old Town, uh, because right in the heart of the city, there's a, the Old City. And in the Old Town, you get to see um, a lot of shops where the Native Americans present their artwork, and uh, they present it for tourists like me, and I'm a tourist. And as a kid, I loved Native American art. I love Native American culture. That was my favorite thing to study when I was a little boy in third grade, fourth grade, and right up, up through there. Something I noticed uh, as we were taking this trip this time, I, I noted that there were signs in several of the stores that said this, and, and I'd seen them before. It just seemed like I really noticed them this time. It said this. It said, Native American fetishes for sale. And when I was talking to Laurel about this, she said, yeah, I noticed that too. I noticed they were selling sage, because sage is a thing that's in the Southwest, in little packets, but it was sage that a, a shaman had blessed. And you were to take it to your home, and you could clean out the bad spirits in your home with the spirits that came with the sage right along with it. Native American fetishes for sale. That word fetish uh, has multiple meanings, but in a the context they're using it there, a fetish is an in animate object, worshipped for its supposed magical powers, or because of it, it is considered to be inhabited by a spirit. Huh. Interesting, huh? Inhabited by a spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit that they're counting on there. It's not a good spirit. It's a dark spirit. And those are marks of paganism that are in our culture. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to Native American culture. I think sometimes we feel like if we criticize another religion in another culture, particularly because we bear a sense of guilt regarding what happened to the Native Americans when we came here hundreds of years ago, we feel it's just wrong, don't criticize their culture. But understand this, that there's a darkness involved in religions that are not Christian religions. Did you hear that sentence? There's a darkness involved in religions that are not Christian religions. And that line, <laughs> fetishes for sale, 
is a mark of that darkness. It's a mark of paganism. It is something that has been around since the time of Adam and Eve after they fell, and it is still with us today. And if you give some thought, some honest thought, to the differences between Christianity and Christian faith, genuine Christian faith, I'm not talking about the machine that is Christianity, but real Christian faith, biblical Christianity, and paganism, you probably would say, I do see a difference in terms of light and darkness. The Christian faith is marked by light and that paganism, spiritism, witchcraft, the occult is marked by darkness. In fact, historically, these things are referred to by the critics and by those who practice them as the, quote, dark arts, because we recognize a certain darkness there, a spiritual darkness there, a place that could lead you to your undoing, something we call the occult. I'd like to read to you from John chapter 1. I'm going to read 14 verses. I would love it if your Bibles were open to John 14 and you would follow along as I read. Um, This is John writing about Jesus. This is kind of his Christmas story, as it were. He begins in verse 1 and says, In the beginning was the Word, and of course he's speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and hear this phrase, that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him we all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You can see that as John is writing about Jesus, he's writing about light. And he speaks of him in terms of light. And in order to understand the significance of that in the context in which we're addressing it, you and I should probably talk about the occult and maybe try to have an understanding of that word because occult and darkness are two words that are related to one another. Let me explain by helping you maybe see the definition of that word occult. The Oxford Dictionary says that occult means supernatural, mystical, or magical beliefs, practices, or phenomenon. But that definition doesn't really work. There's a couple reasons it doesn't work. One is because it says supernatural. Well, Christianity is supernatural, but Christianity isn't the occult. Another reason it doesn't work is because it says mystical, and Christianity is mystical. God speaks to us through mysterious way, voice of his Holy Spirit. So that isn't the best definition to say occult, although it is a definition that occult would fall under. I think probably that which distinguishes something as being part of the occult is kind of connected to a term that I heard one time when I was in the hospital. I was visiting someone in the hospital one time, and the doctor said this sentence to the patient. We did an occult test for blood. (laughs) Now, although I knew better, I couldn't help but think, what's going on in the lab back there? Are they sacrificing chickens? I don't understand. What's an occult test for blood in a hospital? They weren't, right? But they were looking for hidden, that's the word, hidden traces of blood. 
An occult test for blood is a test that is looking for hidden traces of blood that you would not see with the naked eye. So occult, as it, at its root, means hidden. An occult blood test looks for hidden traces of blood. Occult religious practices are practices that have been historically hidden. And through the years, occult practices have been hidden mostly because society has disapproved of them. Society hasn't approved of all things occult for several reasons. Frankly, some of the things that happen in occult environs, occult practices, are some pretty evil things. For example, LiveScience.com, which is not a Christian website, they document 25 cultures that have engaged in human sacrifice or have used dismembered human bodies in their body parts, rather, in their ceremonies as recently as the past decade. You think to yourself, why Why haven't I heard of this? Because it's hidden. It's occult. It's not the kind of thing that you advertise. It's the kind of thing that you hide. You can see why it would be hidden. Additionally, occult practices are hidden because they're often a means of exercising power. Occult is all about having the power. I am a powerful occultist, someone might say. And it's generally secret power because I don't want to share my power with the next guy if I'm practicing the occult. It's like the recipe for Dr. Pepper. (laughs) You know the recipe for Dr. Pepper? Of course you don't. Do you know why? Because it's a secret. It's hidden. It's actually cut into two pieces, and one half of it is put in a bank in Dallas, and another one is put in a bank across town in Dallas because it's their secret recipe. And they don't want anyone to be in possession of that whole formula. Now, I understand why Dr. Pepper doesn't share its recipe. They want Mr. Pibb to taste like Mr. Pibb and not like Dr. Pepper. That's what's going on there, right? And likewise, I understand why those who have involved themselves in the magic arts don't want to share their secrets. I mean, if I know a magic spell that's going to turn lead into gold, I am not sharing that spell with you because that's my power. It's mine. I keep it occult. I keep it hidden. Now, I want to just give you some examples. I'm not going to discuss these today, but some examples of what I'm talking about today. A seance would be an example. A Ouija board, where you're speaking to the spirits. A medium, when you're consulting the dead. Uh, casting spells. Divination, telling the future, namely. Or, or Satanism. All of those things, all of those things would be modern-day examples of the occult. I was just talking to someone in the early service, and they said, I know a, a young person who is, is claiming that they are a Satanist. That person is dabbling in the occult. And in the Bible, you see over and over again that these things are things that God does not want you to be involved in. I, I, I have a piece of paper that has like 20 verses on it, but I just want to share half a dozen of them with you today. This is from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31, and it says, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you'll be defiled for them by them. I am the Lord your God. And then in the very next chapter, the book of Leviticus says, I will set my face against anyone who turns to mediums or spiritists to prostitute themselves by following them. That's strong language. And then it gets stronger. I will cut them off from their people. That's God speaking. You can see it in the book of Deuteronomy as well. In Deuteronomy 18.10, it says, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcrafts or casts spells, or is a medium or a spiritist who consults the dead. God has some serious issues with this. You can see it again in the book of Isaiah, where it says, You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Pharisees and embrace pagan customs. You've abandoned your people. 
because of that. Probably the verse that explains most clearly and concisely one of the main reasons that God is distressed by this, it comes from Isaiah chapter 8. When it says, when someone tells you to consult mediums or spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? I consult the dead on behalf of the living. I can give you a reason why. Because I don't like what God has to say about it. I think I need a second opinion. Or I don't want to go to God about it because, frankly, I know that God might have some demands he'd like to place on my life, and I'd rather duck those if I possibly can. And I don't want to go to God about it, one might say, because I want to do it my way, and I want the power. I don't want him to have the power. You can see that God wants us to stay clear of darkness. Thursday night men's group uh, was meeting a few weeks ago. We were studying through the book of John. And uh, we're in chapter four coming up this weekend, but, uh, or this Thursday rather. But, um, <laughs> but before that, when we were in the early chapters, Matt Molesky made a, an interesting observation. Matt's that guy that comes to Bible study says, I really love the YouVersion Bible app. I listened to this passage of scripture 5,000 times this week while I was driving in my car. It's not 5,000, but he listens to it over and over and over again. And he made a neat observation. He said, when you read John, it seems like John seems to put a lot of ink on the page regarding light and darkness. And we just did that. Did you notice as we read it? All the stuff in John chapter one about light and darkness. Indeed, he does. I did the math. Actually, I didn't have a piece of software that did the math for me. John speaks of light more times than Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. It's an issue for John, and I'm not sure why he does that. He might be, he's a little older, and he knows God very closely, knows Jesus closely. He was one of the insiders, so to speak. And, and maybe, maybe at the point where he actually wrote his work, being more mature, he saw the amazing damage that darkness can do in a person's life. I know that's the case with me. When I was younger, I might have trivialized dabbling in the occult. Oh yeah, that's all just fun and games. Not anymore. Not anymore because I've seen that there is such a thing as darkness. And the outcome of it is destruction. So let's talk a little bit about light. Let's take some time to talk about some characteristics of light. I want to give you a few of them. First, I want to say this to you very clearly. Light is powerful. It is more powerful than darkness. Some people have this feeling that light and darkness need to be in perfect harmony in the universe, the yin and the yang. That's all Eastern mysticism. It's the teaching of Star Wars. And here's the line. Remember the line? Great movie, bad theology. That's Star Wars, right? Okay? Great movie, bad theology. Light doesn't have to equal darkness, and darkness does not have to equal light. Light actually overcomes darkness. You heard it when I read it. It was in verse 5 that I read, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In fact, light obliterates darkness. You can walk into a room in a modern-day house that's dark, and you can flip on the light switch and say, ah, we've overcome the darkness. But you cannot walk into a modern-day house, into a room that's lit, and flip on the light switch and say, I'm turning on the darkness. It doesn't stand a chance against the light. And so it is with Jesus. It doesn't stand a chance against him. And that's something very important for you to recognize because sometimes when we think about darkness, we think about, oh, it's kind of scary. I don't know if we want to mess with this. And you shouldn't mess with it. But sometimes as a Christian, there's someone around that maybe they've dabbled in it. And you're like, I don't want to be around them because they've been in bad stuff. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You do not have to be afraid because the light overcomes the darkness. Look at the verse. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Light always has the upper hand over the darkness. Beyond that, light is actually transformational. It has a power to change things, and it changes lives. It changes lives on a spiritual level. To illustrate this, it changes everything. Light has changed the daily scheduling of the entire human race. What? It has. 
time to get up this morning. I got up this morning before the sun rose because I have that early service that I love to do, right? I hate getting up early, but I love to do that service. When I got up before the sun, I turned on a light and I did my normal Sunday ritual. What time did you go to bed last night? I went to bed four hours and 30 minutes after the sun set. And I didn't have to wonder, am I going to be able to do the stuff I need to do? I didn't have to, to you know, work with a candle or something or, or, or kind of stumble around in dark because the modern era has given us light that has changed the way we schedule our lives. We're not worried about when the sun rises and the sunset. We don't have to even think about that because we have light. It changed everything. But people just one century ago had no such ability. Now, before you say, well, they had kerosene lamps, Pastor Steve, let me give you the words, humorous words of Elroy Huffman. Elroy humorously commented this about the advent of electric light. He said, before that, you had to carry a danged old kerosene lantern, you know? You had to light a match to see if it was burning. (laughs) If you've used the kerosene lantern, you kind of know what he's talking about. He's not too far from wrong. But the introduction of the electric light bulb changed society, everything about it from our waking hour to our sleeping hour. And that is just a small picture of how incredibly powerful light is, especially when it is the light of Christ. He changes everything. We read it in verse 9. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, though the world was made through him, and the world did not recognize him. He came through that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's a huge change. That's a huge change from just being the everyday Joe to being given the right to be a child of God. Jesus, the true light, changes everything. And the light itself is for everyone. Occult practices are for a select few. You have to be an acolyte. You have to be like, yes, I'm going to train you in these mysterious arts. Not so. Not so with the light of Jesus Christ. In verse 9, it says, the true light that gives light to everyone, and you see that word, everyone, was coming into all the world. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Every now and then, someone will say, in the workplace or anywhere else, will say, you know, I don't know that it's right for Christians to be talking about their faith. I don't think you should display your faith in the workplace or in wherever. Let me tell you, let me tell you, You can't hide light. It's going to show up. A teacher said to me recently, I think that person knows I'm a Christian, and I'm not sure how they know because we're not allowed to tell. I know how they know because the light shines from your life. That's how they know. And it's for everyone. However, you don't have to be around long until you realize not everyone, not everyone likes the light or desires the light or wants it. In fact, if you go to a nightclub or to a bar late in the evening, You're coming in, it's dark outside, you come into the bar, you don't have to wait for your eyes to adjust. You know why? Because it's dark in the bar too. Do you know why it's dark in the bar? A couple reasons. Number one, because everybody looks better in less light. (laughs) Right? But number two, it's because darkness hides a lot. It hides sin. It hides things that are shameful. You feel like it hides your guilt. It hides evil deeds. And Jesus talks about that, or John does, not certain who's speaking in John 3.19, but it says, this is the verdict, light has come into the world and people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. Not everyone loves the light. Some people love darkness. It should be obvious to you that Jesus is the one who is the light. 
says in uh, John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Did you notice that Jesus seems to implicitly say that walking in the dark is a bad idea? Walking in the dark is a bad idea. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, but I have a couple grandchildren. <laughs> I've mentioned that to you a thousand times. One of the things that my older grandson was doing recently was putting a thing over his head and walking around with it on his head so he couldn't see. Maybe a towel or something like that. That wasn't a good idea. He had a couple bruises that demonstrated that to him. Walking in darkness, spiritually speaking, is never a good idea. The author of Proverbs says, by the way of the wicked, pardon me, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't even know what makes them stumble. It's true. So what do you want to do? Well, what you want to do is you want to live in the light. And to live in the light, you need to stay away from darkness. You need to stay away from occult, spiritism, seances, mediums, witchcraft. Those are the kinds of things to stay clear of. And it doesn't matter if the practitioner calls the craft good. Sometimes they'll say things like this. They'll say, well, I don't do black magic. I do white magic. (laughs) Right. I'm a white witch. That means I'm good. Okay. Okay. No, that's not what that means. That means you're confused. (laughs) John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus says this. He says, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So I would say to you, if you're a believer, abandon everything that has to do with the darkness that may have been a part of your life. Even renounce it in the name of Christ. While we were visiting uh, an international worker, a missionary in Ecuador, we left the city of Quito and we went to Otavala, the world marketplace. We were there in, in that marketplace that attracts countless tourists and there the Kisho Indians are selling all the things that they had to sell there. And as we're walking through it, we bumped into another group of Americans, North Americans. And so we began to speak to them, where are you from, stuff like that. And, and the guy said, we're really excited. Later this afternoon, we're going to go visit a local Indian shaman and this witch doctor is going to give us a blessing. Okay? <laughs> I can remember the missionary. His name was Randy. And Randy said this. He'd been on a field, by the way, for 26 years. And Randy was not one to blow things up. He was not a dramatic kind of guy. He was not like that guy who was, was one who would be prone to exaggeration. Here's what he said. Those tourists have no idea what they're doing, but that shaman knows exactly what he is doing. I shared this this morning. John Peters said to me that when he was in, I think it was Brazil, on the beach, there were um, women who would come up with oil and want to give you a massage. And it was free. Just I'll give you a quick back rub here. And he was with his cousin who was a missionary there. And uh, the, the woman came up and John's like, who doesn't want a back rub? Yeah. And it's free? <laughs> Who's not going to get that? Yeah, I'll take that. And his cousin said, do not take that. Because according to that missionary, what they're doing is providing you with a spiritual event, a spiritual demonic personage to come upon you. And if you take it, you got it. Wow. Stay away from the darkness. Don't feel like, hey, let's go ahead and dabble around here. How bad would it be for a shaman in in Otavala, (laughs) the world marketplace, to give me a blessing? I think I can handle that. Let's go for that. My children who live in a Mideastern country do not even allow 
a major world religion person to give their children a blessing. They, and, and if it happens in a mall, afterward, my children pray over their children to say, in the name of Jesus, we renounce whatever, whatever spiritual activity might have been placed on this child. Don't dabble in it. It is foolish to open yourself up to darkness. By the way, you don't have to go to Otavala. <laughs> you don't have to go to Brazil. You don't have to go to the Middle East to find darkness. You can find it right here and right now. You can find it on the internet. You can find it on your television. You can find it on social media. You can find it in books. You can find it at palm, palm readers. You can find it at the Clearfield County Fair. You can find it at the psychic fairs. All those places offer you a trip to the dark side. Don't go. Don't go. Live in the light by staying away from darkness. And second, live in the light by being filled with the true light. Listen to this. Walking in the light is not just a matter of believing the right stuff. Do you hear that? It's not just that, well, I believe the right stuff. I went to that church and they told me the right stuff, so I know I'm in the light. Walking in the light requires a personal encounter with God where he, when you open your life to him and repent of your sin and say, I know that I've allowed this darkness in and I need to be free of this, he, by his spirit, comes and lives in you. He comes and lives in you. It's not just a matter of changing your mind. It requires that you personally submit to him and ask him to live in you. Luke 11.35, Jesus says, See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Wow, so the potential exists for that. The light within you is Jesus, if you're a believer. When he comes into your heart by the presence of his spirit and into your life, then his light begins to shine in you. It happens when you recognize your own sin as one who is not a believer and has not had an encounter with Christ, and you recognize that his death on the cross was to pay for your sin. And in the quietness of your heart or in the scream of your spirit, you say, forgive me, I know I have sinned. I believe that Jesus died for me. I would ask you, Jesus, that you would come to me, into my life, and I will follow you. And when that happens, it isn't just that a page in heaven gets a nice little check mark beside your name that you're saved. It is that the spirit of the mighty God in all his glory comes and abides in your very being. God abides in you. How do you know that, Pastor Steve? Same reason I know anything, because the Bible says so. Romans chapter 9, verse 10 says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Well, that's an interesting phrase. Uh, if the Spirit of God lives in me? Well, does the Spirit of God live in me? Listen to the next sentence. If anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. So if you belong to Christ, if you have asked him to forgive you and turned your life to follow him, repenting of your sins, then his Spirit lives inside of you. The glory of his spirit is inside you. His light is inside of you. Not because of that personal encounter that he had with you. Not because you believe the right stuff, but because you have surrendered to him. It happens when you surrender to this Christ who hunted you down <laughs> and desires to live in you. It happens when you repent and trust in his love. He fills you with himself. If you want to live in the light, you must have opened your heart, your life, to be filled with the light. And living in the light means sharing the light with those who are in darkness. Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, some of the most basic kingdom teaching there is. And right toward the beginning of that, he's only like 16 verses into it, although he wasn't preaching by verses, I know. 
But he says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light that has been ignited by his Spirit's presence in your heart, let it shine before others so they see Christ. I often think to myself, how do people view me? And I don't think of that in a bad way. Like, does everybody like me? Okay, honestly, I do think that way sometimes. I try not to. (laughs) But I think of it this way. Am I the kind of person, and think of it in your own terms, are you the kind of person that when you show up, people are like, light just walked into this room? There have been times in my life that people would say, when Steve showed up, cynicism walked into the room. When Steve showed up, some bitterness walked into the room. When Steve showed up, anger walked into the room. When Steve showed up, meanness walked into the room. None of those None of those are associated with the light. When I show up, when you show up, isn't it wonderful to imagine open, honest, radiant, loving, gracious, compassionate, patient light is what enters the room. That's a good idea, Pastor Steve, but I don't really know if it's possible. Yeah, it is. Jesus would not say, let your light shine before men if it were not possible. And by the way, the light that you're shining is the light that he gave you. So you don't have to drum it up yourself. You just have to lay down and let him show that light. You just have to surrender and let his light shine through you. Founder of the Alliance said something like this one time. He said that your relationship with God should be so marked by the presence of the Holy Spirit that if someone sees you walking down the street, they wouldn't be sure if it was you or Jesus. How cool would that be, right? How cool would that be? Impossible? Yeah, because no one's really looking for Jesus to walk down the street. But you do get the point, right? You do get the point. Now, I share this message with you about living in the light for a couple of different reasons. One reason is, because no matter how many times I speak of the dangers of the occult, there's still somebody dabbling in it. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why would you play with the darkness when you are a child of the light? I want to warn you against dabbling in it because God's word clearly says not to. There's a second reason that I share this message with you, and that is because I want to have you be sure in your heart that the light resides there. That your Christian faith isn't just a matter of believing the right stuff, you understand. But your Christian faith is marked by the reality that you have had an encounter with the living God where you said, I need to be transformed. And you might not have known it at the time, but the light of Christ is the only thing that can transform. And so you said, Jesus, I need to be forgiven. I hate who I am. I hate, who, I hate what I do. And I need you to forgive me and change me. And I want to make sure you've had that encounter. Because if your Christianity is just a matter of believing the right stuff, wow, how dim is the light that may or may not be within you. And third, The third reason is because I want you to shine your light. I want you to think about the life you're leading. I want you to think about what people think when you show up. I want you to think about how your family regards you. I want you to think about your husband and how he sees what Christ has done in you. I want you to think about your wife and how she sees what Christ has done in you. I want you to think about those things because, because Jesus says clearly that letting your light shine before them is not just powerful, but it's essential. It is one of the reasons he places his light in you. And I want to pray that we could all, that we could all respond to those three areas.
Father in heaven, um, I would pray that we would be individuals who recognize the foolishness of dabbling with darkness. And dabbling can mean many things to many different people. It might mean we need to change our TV habits, our internet habits, our reading habits. It might, need to, it might mean we need to quit playing around with things that are just, we know, dark. And, and, and maybe, maybe this is what we need to say in, in, with the voice of our own spirit. Maybe we need to say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I renounce my participation in darkness. And as we do that, Father, we do it once and for all. We will not go there again. And second, Father, I'd like us to just evaluate, have we had an encounter with the risen Christ? Or is the Christianity we have just something that we picked up because we live in Clearfield County? That's not what we want. We want to recognize that our need for Christ is desperate. And apart from him, we would be in utter darkness. We do recognize that. We turn our hearts toward you, Jesus, and ask you to fill us with the radiance of your glory, with your light, that people would see our lives and say, there's something there that I want. In fact, that is the third thing, that we would shine our light, a light of hope, a light of love, a light of goodness. We cannot make this happen, but you can. And that's what we ask you to do. In Christ's name, amen.